Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Calgary, Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez and Shaq. It's going down this Saturday. Two of the most exciting fighters in the sport, two of the most violent fighters in the history of the sport are going to throw down once again. And uh, if their first fight was any indication, this could be a candidate for fight of the year. Yeah, two legends of the sport, two guys that uh, both like to knock heads off. And we know that anytime Dustin Poirier fights, there's most likely going to be a knockout involved. You know, and uh, and it's, he's 16 and four in the UFC with 12 knockouts, so he's the definition of a knockout artist. And we know Eddie Alvarez. Uh, they don't call him the Underground King for no reason. You know, when he's uh, when he gets wobbled, that's when he's the most dangerous. And man, Dustin Poirier is in the most dangerous form of his career right now. So anytime he's going out there, man, it's nice to see him finally putting it all together. And obviously with Eddie Alvarez, you can never count a guy like that out. But it doesn't stop there, Shaq, because this card has Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens, Joanna Jacek versus Tisha Torres. And I could go on forever, but it just goes to show the magnitude of this card. You know, I know you remember UFC 149 when the UFC was in Calgary and they had this amazing card lined up and then everyone fell off and it ended up being one of the worst cards ever with Hector Lombard versus Tim Bosch and Uriah and Hennon, which actually wasn't a bad fight, but the rest of the main card was so bad. Check Congo versus Sean Jordan that it ruined it for everyone. So now for Dana White's birthday party, uh, he, he hooked us up with a stack card, Shaq. Yeah, and he picked the right one. Dustin Poirier and Eddie, they got two uh, lunatics throwing fists at each other, and you know one guy's going to fall unconscious. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. And uh, for anyone wondering, yes, Max Bet season is going down this weekend. And yes, my boy Ping Wang Lu with the plus 100 came through last weekend. But now it's time to get another win here at Calgary. And let's start off in the lightweight division, man, because we got Devin Powell. He's minus 125. The comeback on Alvaro Herrera is plus 105. Now, Shaq, you know, no disrespect to both these guys because I respect anyone that steps inside any cage gets it locked behind them and goes into a fight, a fist fight on a Saturday night against a grown man for money. And uh, that's what these two are doing. But when you talk about the, the deepest division in the UFC, which is the lightweight division, these have to be the two worst guys. So the question is, who's going to keep their job and uh, who's going to come out, take some L's on the NFC local scene? Yeah, you know, anytime uh, you get a guy at like Devin Powell at minus money obviously you want to look into fading him but then you got to see what you're working with and you're talking about Alvaro Alvaro Herrera you know Alvaro's what we you know he's what we like to refer to as a jobber you know he's uh most of the time he's here to get his ass beat but in here in this sense I guess they gave him one last chance to see what he's really made of you know this is a guy that lost to Hector Aldana on tough so anyone that's blind fading uh Powell be very careful of what you're getting yourself into you know personally this is a fight I want nothing to do with I think Powell uh, is one of these you know jobber scarecrows where you know like a Jane's where you you know you hit him a bunch of times and he's still standing for some reason and uh Alvaro I mean he's a tough Mexican but at the same time you know you've seen the we've seen the tough Mexican quit I mean he straight up quit against Hector Aldana he got finished by Jordan Rinaldi in the first round um he pretty much gets finished every fight so this is your typical jobber fight I'm gonna take the underdog Alvaro Herrera I think uh I just think, you know, he'll probably land the harder punches. But uh, don't be shocked when uh, he quits and gets uh, darts choked. As we saw, Powell's got some, uh, I guess he's got some decent darts chokes. He threatened Horcher in that third round, got it to go to a split decision. I don't know how, but props to him. And he didn't get finished by Jakar Close. So, like I said, this guy uh, is very hard to put out. 
You know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, if Drakkar close and Daryl Horcher didn't knock this guy out, then Alvaro Herrera sure as hell ain't going to knock this guy out. But as you know, you know, MMA math and all these things, they, they don't make a fucking, they don't mean shit because anything can happen inside that octagon. But based on what we've seen, man, you know, and going into this, I was like, oh, I get to fade Devin Powell against a Mexican. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to take that. But when I watch the tape, it turns out that Mexican, he doesn't fight like a Mexican, man. He doesn't have that heart, that warrior spirit that all the Mexican warriors are known for. Alvaro Herrera actually lets down the Mexican people in, uh, in most of his fights, man. I don't know what his deal is. I think it's he might be too big for 55. He might need to go up to 70. But then he goes up to 70. He's got love handles. But he doesn't know how to cut weight properly. So he gasses out after two minutes and if he gasses out after two minutes against a guy like Powell not that Powell is anything to write home about but one thing I can give him credit for is he's super tough I mean look he was a punching bag in his first two UFC fights but in you know but in addition to being a punching bag he didn't go down both fights went to decision. He was there for the whole uh, three rounds both times. And against uh, Daryl Horcher, he even came back and won the third round. So my boy Devin Powell, even though I once called him the worst fighter on the UFC roster, he's actually made improvements. But he's been out for a while. He He's overcoming a serious injury. We don't got to get into it. But if you if you saw online what it was, uh, it's pretty fucking devastating. I don't know how one could come back from that. So, you know, Alvaro catching him is not going to surprise me. But if this goes into deep waters, I don't think Alvaro has the gas tank. And I think that uh, Devin Powell could potentially submit him or win the decision. So it's funny to say I'm actually picking Devin Powell in a fight in 2018. So uh, we'll see what happens. Now, next up. We got Nina Ansaroff. She's minus 135. The comeback on Random Marcos is plus 115. Now, Shaq, it's interesting because Random Marcos has wins against some of the best fighters in that division. You know, she beat Tisha Torres. She beat Carla Esparza. But then she's got losses against the worst fighters in that division. She lost to Courtney Casey. But Random Marcos is 5-0 in Canada. She is the underdog. So let me ask you something. Is she going to make it 6-0 in Canada? Or is uh, Nina Ansaroff going to hand her uh, her first Canadian loss? Yeah, you know, Marcos is one of those uh, girls that, uh, you know, or one of those fighters that uh, haven't been able to put two wins in a row together, kind of like Feely and Hooker were, you know, in that spot going into their current win streaks. And, you know, these people that can't win two in a row, generally lately they've been winning two in a row, so it's going to be interesting. Um, Androv, you know, she's a very good striker. She's got that Taekwondo background. I mean, I've even heard some of... uh, the ATT coaches say that she's actually the one, the best 115 pounder in the gym. She just needs to go out there and fight like it. But, you know, uh, she's got the eight and five record, a real rough record. And, you know, um, her last fight against Hill, she was the underdog. And, you know, she uh, she fought well. But, you know, Hill's a little more one dimensional than Randa, even though Hill's definitely a better striker. Um, but, you know, I don't, it, it could be a chance where people are, you know, overvaluing that win a little bit. Um, you know, Marcos, like we said, you, you, she she tends to fight to the level of her competition. You know, she's not going to blow anybody out the water, whether it be if she's fighting Jillian Jones, Liebarger, or uh, Felice Herrig, or Tisha Torres, Carla. You know, she just uh, she fights the level of her competition. So we know most likely this fight's going to be real close, as uh, both their fights generally are very close. 
Um, so I'm going to have to go with the underdogs. I don't, I think Randa is going to get her, uh, you know, her second win in a row. You know, I definitely think Androv's the better striker, but, uh, you know, what about Androv's wrestling? Now I know she stuffs, she does have a 70% takedown defense, but Randa Marco shoots a lot of takedowns, man. And, uh, this is going to be one of the better wrestlers that she's going up against. You know, when she fought Justine Keish, you know, she wilted in that third round and gave up easy takedowns. When she fought Juliana Lima, she gave up easy takedowns. And, uh, as far as I'm concerned, she hasn't fought a real tie-up threat since so you know i'm gonna take the underdog marcos in this one um i think Androv will be getting the better of the feeding changes but you know randa's does have that big overhand right even though that's pretty much the only thing she does throw um but to trust a girl like randa it's tough because man i've, I've always felt like you know she's a, a poorly trained fighter you know she trains her jujitsu one place her wrestling one place and her striking one place and it's as all you see in the cage, you know, things just really, uh, that's why she's a 500 fighter. That's why she, you know, lost to Jessica Panay. So it's uh, tough, but I'm, I'll, I'll take Marcos. You know, Marcos is the kind of fighter that you want to take as a dog, you know, and especially in Canada, because as I mentioned, she is 5-0 and in Canada. But that being said, she's so inconsistent it's, and so unpredictable. I mean, she's out here beating the best girls in the division and losing to the worst ones. And with Nina Ansaroff, you know, all these people talking about how, oh, she's the best 115er at ATT. I know for a fact Joanna's coaches weren't saying shit like that. You know what I'm saying? You know how Joanna would react if she heard all that. So... Man, uh, look, you know, look, she's got a nice Muay Thai game, and it worked well against Angela Hill, who won't shoot for a takedown. But you know who will shoot for a takedown? Randa Marcos will. And I know on the feed it could get ugly because Randa's uh, stand-up technique is uh, not the prettiest. But she finds a way to get the fights into the clinch. She finds a way to drag it down to the mat. And she was taking people like Carla Esparza down. So I, I think that uh, she will be able to take down Nina Ansaroff and seal off rounds. And even if it's close and controversial, we're in Canada. And I, I think the one wearing the red trunks is going to get that decision. And uh, a submission wouldn't surprise me either, but I'm going to go with a decision, so I'm going to go with Randa Marcos here for the upset. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Mateus Nicolau. He's minus 185. The comeback on Dustin Ortiz is plus 160. Now, Dustin Ortiz is one of the perennial tough outs at 125 pounds. I mean, he's literally fought every single guy in the 125-pound division besides Demetrius Johnson and uh, Henry Cejudo. And now he gets the chance to go in there and fight the very hyped prospect, Mateus Nicolau. So what I got to know, Shaq, is uh, is the hype for real on Nicolau, or do you think Ortiz is going to grind another one out? Yeah, you know, I got the utmost respect for a guy like Dustin Ortiz. You know, I like his whole his whole thing with the state chopping thing. I like his attitude. I like his mindset. But I just think we're dealing with something special here in the 125-pound division. I think Mateus... Uh, you know, uh, to beat a guy like John Moraga in your uh, flyweight debut, first fight in the weight class to take out the number six guy in the world, a guy like John Moraga, who only loses the top five guys like Benavidez, Dotson, um, DJ, Sergio, Sergio, you know, only the top five guys. And, um, and, you know, Ortiz, you know, you know, he's a, he's a solid guy, but I just think, uh, there's a big, there's a big, uh, skill difference out here in space. I think Mateus has the best boxing in the division. I think on the mat, he's something to, uh, behold as well. We're talking about an IB JJF, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt champion, you know what I'm saying? Um, I just think uh, he's better. He's a better fighter in every aspect of the game. You know, I I do expect Ortiz to stay in there. I think he's a super tough guy, but I just think uh, he's never seen anything like this out in space before. Um, you know, as far as the takedowns come, as far as the grinding comes, you know, Ortiz, I really don't consider him a grinder. You know, I consider guys like John Fitch, Bartos, uh, Khabib, uh, uh, you know, guys like that, that 
that will just dump you at will for three rounds. You know, I, I consider Ortiz more of a back-and-forth scrambler. You know, I see him getting taken down by guys like Makovsky and, you know, pretty much everyone he fights. And then, you know, he just uh, – he's a good turn-inner. You know, he likes to turn in into guard with about a minute 30 left and still rounds. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think Mateus is just too smart. I think he's got a team behind him to, you know, get the game plans right. And uh, I think he'll just outbox Ortiz for the most part and stuff the takedowns and on his way to a 30-27. Yeah, I'm with you on this one as well, man. I've been very impressed uh, with Mateus Nicolau, especially since he dropped to 125 pounds. I mean, you know, you make your UFC debut against Bruno Correa at 135 pounds. No one's ever heard of this guy. Then you drop to 125, and all of a sudden you're fighting the number six guy on planet Earth, and he beat him at his own game. And uh, also, you know, a lot of people have questions about Mateus' takedown defense because obviously that should be the question here. You're fighting Dustin Ortiz. Dustin Ortiz takes down... A good, uh, a good bit of his uh, UFC opponents. And also, Dustin Ortiz has the fastest knockout in UFC flyweight history when he knocked out Hector Sandoval. I believe it was in 13 seconds, Shaq. So, you know, Dustin Ortiz has some accolades. But when we're talking about credentials, you know, people think that Mateus Nicolau is just uh, some boxer and his boxing is great. To make no mistake about it. But what they don't realize is that he's a world championship jujitsu guy. He's a serious high-level black belt. He's a guy, and let's talk about his takedown defense for a second because, you know, he used to come out of uh, Novo Nyao, which is a team, a camp that's known for legendary takedown defense. I mean, you've seen the takedown defense that Henan Barrao and Jose Aldo had in their primes. And Mateus Nicolau has that exact technique, but all those guys at Novo now have been getting run down, you know, as you've seen, they've been losing all their fights, and Mateus knew he had to try something different, and, you know, the Moraga fight he did at Jackson's camp, he knew he had to go three rounds hard, he went there in the elevation, and for the Smolka camp, he knew, look, Smolka's a guy that's going to scramble a lot, let's go to Damian Maya's camp, and uh, he did this camp at Damian Maya's as well, and I think that's the perfect place to train for a guy like Dustin Ortiz, and look, Dustin, he's going to be a super tough out, you have to put this guy away you have to basically you have to take his back and every single time that he's fought a black belt he has uh, gotten his back taken even against non-black belts even against a purple belt like Zach Makovsky now the last fight with Pantoja it seemed like Pantoja was on his way to winning the fight but Pantoja kind of had a bit of a cardio issue I'm not convinced that Mateus has that cardio issue because, if anything, when you 10-7 someone in the first round like he did to Lewis Smolka, you know, you have an excuse for gassing out the next two rounds. And he went out there and won the next two rounds dominantly as well. So I don't think his cardio is in question at all. And I think he's going to be making huge improvements each fight. I think Dustin Ortiz is a great fighter, but this, there's levels to this shit. And I think that Mateus Nicolau could be a potential top five guy. So I actually see him coming out here. If he gets the back of uh, Dustin Ortiz, I can see him choking him out. Or on the feet, it could be a left-hook KO. But bottom line, I do have uh, the favorite, Mateus Nicolau, to get the biggest win of his career here. And uh, Dustin Ortiz is a super tough guy, and he'll uh, stay chopping like he likes to say. Now, next up, we got Caitlin Chukagan. She's minus 150. The comeback on Alexis Davis is plus 130. Now, Shaq, this is the second uh, women's fight in a row where the Canadian is actually the dog. And it's interesting because both of those matchups are striker versus grappler. So I got to ask you, man, you going with the striker or you going with the grappler here? Yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting fight. We know uh, what Chukagian's game is. Is. And, uh, you know, Davis, uh, that was a uh, decent win over Carmusher last fight. You know, we know where her skills lie. We know that if you play around with her on the mat, don't be shocked uh, 
you know, when your arm's almost getting broken because, uh, you know, she's one of the pioneers for that uh, or one of the building blocks for that division. She's been fighting for over 11 years, and you know that uh, she adapts quickly. Um, I mean, you know, I do think on the feet she is a little bit of a mummy. She tends to get hit with pretty much every punch her opponent throws. But, I mean, that's her game, so, you know, it works out. But if you tie up with her, if you go to that math, mat with her, you're in danger. And we've seen Chukagian, uh we really – not really say outclassed on the map per se but you know when she did fight Carmouche it was more of a, a physical strength thing I mean you look at Carmouche and you look at her you see Carmouche with all the big muscles and you see Chukagian you know pretty skinny and uh she was fighting at 135 so now she's back at 125 where she's undefeated um you, you know the deal Chukagian um I actually just saw a video uh, a couple hours ago of uh, a little three-minute clip of her not landing any strikes but making sounds. And, uh, I mean, we we know that's her thing. We know she's going to, you know, make her little tennis hee-haw-hee-haw-ha-ha, you know, all that all that good stuff. And uh, she's probably going to win a decision here. You know, I just think uh, Davis is too slow. Um, I think uh, the movement of Chukagian, the angles, that, that Mark Henry style, will probably take her a long way. I think it's going to be a fairly you know, close fight to the looks, but, uh, you know, when it hits the scorecards, I think it's going to be a 30-27, you know, I think the Chukagian, uh, point fest, the grunting, the tennis sounds, uh, I think it will prevail again. You know, one thing I really respect about Caitlin Chukagian is she's able to create this image and it's almost like an illusion that she's landing all these strikes that she's not. And, and you look at the fight metric strike counts and, you're like, wait, but she didn't really land all those strikes at the opponent. She landed all those strikes at the air. But hey, I got to give her credit where credit's due. If you can win fights based off punching the air and making tennis sounds and the judges still score it for you, that's a that's a serious talent. It's kind of like these handicappers that have less than 50 bets and everyone's uh, praising them. It's uh, amazing that you created this illusion. But the bottom line here is this isn't Canada. So if Alexis Davis is able to get takedowns, which Liz Carmouche was able to do a little bit of grinding against Caitlin Chukagan. Alexis Davis could come out here and get this upset. But that being said, you know, when you're getting finished by Sarah McMahon and you're coming off a two-year maternity leave, you're coming in there with those love handles, I just can't pick you to win this fight. So I do think that despite this fight being in Canada, I still think Caitlin can punch the air, make all those sounds, run around the ring and do absolutely nothing and still win a 30-27 on one of the judges' scorecards. So I am going to go with the favorite Caitlin Chukagan here as well. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got John McDessie's minus 190, the comeback on Ross, the real deal Pearson is plus 165. Now Shaq, I think a year or two ago, this fight might have been a dead pick and now John McDessie is actually a pretty uh he he's a pretty convincing favorite here at minus one ninety. Do you agree with the line or uh, what's your opinion? Yeah, you know he opened uh, minus two ten. So you know odds makers thought uh you know it was uh that he was pretty much uh easy money. But you know uh you know I feel like there's a, another chance where people could be overvaluing that win over Abel Trujillo. I mean if we, guys if we're being honest, Abel Trujillo is one of the most fr- you know he's what uh what Kobe likes to call a snowflake. You know he's a uh, you know, he's got all those muscles for nothing. You know, he's fragile. Um, you know, you know how Abel is. You know, you things don't go right, he, he checks out. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to run away and say McDessie's back, this and that. You know, I do think he's got a little bit more confidence. You know, I do think he's got some good people around him like Duke Rufus and Emmanuel Sanchez. But, uh, you know, that chin is still the chin, and uh, anything can happen. Now, Ross Pearson, the thing is that uh, 
which really can't lead me to, you know, fade McDessie in this one. I mean, this guy, Ross Pearson, straight up lost to Will Brooks. Ross Pearson straight up lost to Stevie Ray. <laughs> you know, uh, he's two and five. He's two and five in his last seven fights. And when you're losing straight up, like no questions asked against guys like that, you know, uh, Will the Quitter Brooks and Stevie Slowpoke Ray, it's uh, it's uh, it's not good. But you know, plus one sixty five against a guy like McDessie, you know, I, I definitely see the opening for that left hook. You know, McDessie likes to be in his rhythm with his little karate stance. Uh, you know, just racking up points for the most part. But it's gonna be tough, man. I could see this fight going either way. You know, I'm not convinced that McDessie is back, but I will take McDessie, just because, uh, like we said, I mean, this guy's losing fights to Stevie Ray and Will Brooks. So, you know, I think it's going to be very close. I think, uh, you know, both men will probably wobble at some point, but I just think McDessie is going to be slightly ahead on points, and I think he'll, you know, get his uh, decision in Canada. But I don't know if you can trust either guy. Well, you absolutely can't trust either guy, and the evidence is just go back and watch all their fights. So for me, when I saw this line, you know, obviously – I'm going to be talking as if uh, there's a lot of value on Pearson because I do think the line's off. But, I mean, can I trust a guy that lost to Will Brooks and Stevie Ray? No, I cannot, Shaq. But at the same time, John McDessie tried to retire about a year or two ago. And, you know, he was saying quotes like, oh, I'm too small for 55, but I'm too big for 45. And he had a couple broken jaws. And he just didn't want to do this shit anymore. That's why we were fading him all the time. I mean, that's why we cashed that Yancey Madero's dog money play. So, for me here, and, and people act like the Lando fight never happened either, but for me in this spot, I mean, when you compare resumes, and we'll compare skills in a, in a second, but when we compare resumes, John McDessie's best wins are against Abel Trujillo, Shane Campbell, uh, Pat Oddenwood, Sam Stout. Like, congrats, man. Ross Pearson's best wins are against Chad LaPree and Paul Felder. So Ross Pearson has actually gone out there and beat some legit dudes. I see this being a close striking match. You know, people are overrating McDessie's win over Abel Trujillo. Look, if someone's James Vick's punching bag for three straight rounds gets flying and eat into a darts choke, if someone is Khabib's grappling dummy and gets taken down 23 times in a row, if someone's, you know, out there getting embarrassed by Tony Ferguson, then you put him in there with uh, John McDessie and he's got absolutely nothing left. Of course John McDessie was able to go out there and win that decision, man. But I think he's actually on the same level as Ross Pearson. It's just slightly different styles. You know, Pearson a little bit more traditional boxing for MMA and John McDessie is a little bit more, you know, karate taekwondo for MMA. So, you know, I think McDessie does keep uh, his lead hand low, which could leave an opening for that left hook of Ross Pearson. I just see this being a close uh, coin flip type of fight. And at, at this line, when there's a plus 165, I'll decide with the dog here. I'm going to go with Ross Pearson via split decision. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Gadzuhimurad Antigulav. He's minus 125. The comeback on Jan Kutelaba is plus 105. Now, once again, Shaq, we got a striker in Jan Kuteleba taking on a grappler and Gadzi Himurad Antigulov. We know one guy wants that KO, one guy wants that submission, and uh, how's it going to pan out, man? Yeah, we see some uh, late money coming in on uh, Kudalaba as of last night. You know, Antigulov was like minus 160 for a while, and then uh, he came to minus 125 last night. Um, you know, Antigulov is kind of hard to read because, you know, I've been watching his fights in ACB against um, some Brazilians. I mean, those guys are just straight bums, and, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, his fights in the UFC, you know, went, they were perfect. He took care of the jobbers exactly the way you're supposed to take care of the jobbers. First round finish um, against Christensen, who, you know, everyone finishes. And 
Marcos uh, De Lima, you know, who's a quitter as well. So, you know, I think he's, you know, I think he's a, a, a fairly decent prospect. You know, I don't know how far his ceiling's going to go, but, you know, I think he's a fairly decent prospect. Now, Kudalaba, on the other hand, Kudalaba's definitely a lot more experienced, even though he's how old? About 23, 24? Yeah, he's just a kid. Yeah, he's just a kid. And, you know, I've, you know, I've been seeing a lot of, you know, statements saying, you know, he he's quit in the past, and that, which is, you know, I wouldn't say he quit. I just think, you know, he's got a gas tank issue or a gas management problem. And, you know, the thing with Jan is I, I will excuse him that because, you know, he was 21 years old fighting Misha Serkinov, you know. They put him in those type of fights. He was, uh, you know, 22 and, and you know, in a... Uh, 22 years old in big uh, UFC events and you know if you give a 20 the thing same things I was say, saying about Sage Norca you know if you if you give these 21 22 23 year olds these uh three round experiences whether they win or lose I mean they're gonna take those and they're gonna run run away with it they're gonna get better from it learn from it so uh, I do fear that happening with Kudalaba you know if I was on uh Antigalov side I fear that, you know, the kid might, you know, one day, you know, put all, everything together. And, I mean, we know the deal with Jan Tiantro's vicious, devastating, concussive blows to the top of that skull. And, you know, he will move forward and he will hunt you down and he will stalk you. Now, Antigolov, uh, you know, I would assume the plan is, you know, let's wait this out in the first round. And, you know, second, second and third round, if he gets tired, let's get on top of him and submit him. So, you know, I could definitely see that happening. I'm a little suspicious about... uh Antigolov's competition level, man. I, I feel like he hasn't fought anyone on this level, to be honest, on on the level of Ian Kudalaba. I feel like Kudalaba's a little bit more experienced, even though he's younger. I know he's coming off the USADA suspension, but between you and me, he's still on the juice stand. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I think Kudalaba's actually going to knock him out in the first round. Now, uh, you know, like I said, of course, you know, he does have that gas management problem, and it's up to him to learn. But like I said, you keep giving these young kids three-round experiences to come back to come back from, it's going to be scary. So I'm going to take Jan. I think he's hungry. You know, uh, Antiglov, he's been actually pulling out of a lot of fights lately. He already pulled out of this fight once. He pulled out of a fight with Ratchik. So, well, I, I understand why he pulled out the Ratchik fight. but <laughs> A lot of people are going to be pulling out that Ratchik fight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm going to take uh, Kudalaba. Yeah, look, man, it's a very intriguing matchup. I mean, obviously, like I've mentioned, I'm probably going to mention this a hundred times on the show, another striker versus grappler matchup. And with Jan Kutaleba, the thing people got to understand about him, kind of like you were saying, Shaq, is that he's just a kid. So we're going to we're gonna hopefully, for his sake, be seeing rapid improvements every single fight. And the biggest improvement he's got to make is that cardio management because you know I don't want to sit here and call a guy a Moldovan warrior a quitter because he's not a quitter but I do think he has a gas tank issue and it didn't just show in his uh two UFC losses Shaq it also showed in uh one of his wins in his win with uh against Johnny Bravo when you know he's teeing off on the dude but I guess when you you know when you beat someone's ass that bad eventually you're gonna be like <sighs> You know, like, why hasn't this guy gone down? So, you know, towards the end of that second round, he really was gassing out against uh, Johnny Bravo. What's Johnny Bravo's actually actual name again? Oh, yeah, Jonathan Wilson against that guy, that jobber. So he gassed out hard against him. We don't even need to talk about the Cannoneer fight. But what I want to mention about the Misha Serkunov fight is that takedown that Misha got on him in the third round and the subsequent pass that's the kind of shit that Gadzi Himurat Antigulov does, man. I mean, he's, he's got a beautiful single leg. He's massive for the weight class. The issue with Antigulov is his chin. 
And it goes all the way back to some of his earlier fights. I don't know if you saw him fight Adlan Amagov, who's actually a welterweight. And I understand this was a long time ago. Everyone's been caught. This is, you know, this is a sport where they fight with four ounce gloves. It's a fist fight. You're gonna get caught. But uh, I saw my boy Anti Gulab face plant before. So you know, if uh, Jan Kutaleva hits that chin, don't be surprised if the same outcome happens. But I truly believe that somewhere along the way, Gadzi Himurad is going to get that single leg. And I think that he kind of reminds me of the Alexei Olenek of the 205-pound division. And what I mean by that is this guy can be on bottom. You can be on top of him. And I'm not even talking about in full guard. And he'll pull chokes out of nowhere. He's one of those guys. And I actually think if he calls up my boy Alexei and you know has him become his mentor, you could start seeing Gadzi Himurad Antigulov pull off uh, Ezekiel chokes inside that octagon. But look, all that being said, it's going to be hairy because Jan Kutaleba comes out swinging big bombs and there's absolutely that possibility that Jan Kutaleba comes out here and knocks Antigulov out. But I'm going to have to go with the grappler here. I think that somewhere along the way he ducks under, he takes him down, he passes, and he submits him. He finishes the fight. I'm going to go with Antigulov for a submission victory. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Islam Mahashev. He's minus 700, and the comeback on Kajan Johnson is plus 500. Now Shaq, you think my boy uh, Kajan Johnson is enjoying his last week with the company? Yeah, you know, win or lose, this will probably be his uh, last uh, plane ride from the UFC. You know, um, and as far as the fight goes, we do know that Kajan uh, knocked out Adriana Martins, who knocked out Islam. So uh, there's a little bit of MMA, MMA math for you. But, you know, being honest here, you know, I think Cajun run, Cajun's run comes to an end. You know, I do think he's a good weasel, but I think he's a good weasel against, you know, Stevie Slowpoke Ray and, you know, guys on that level. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be a good weasel, you know, with a top t 25 to 30 guy. Um, so I'm going to take Islam probably by full mount finish or or 30 24 30 25 you know i just think uh islam's too much for him and islam's been improving you know i'm not gonna give him too much credit for that win over glacian tebow but hey he finished him when des green couldn't and uh i mean he did better than uh khabib did against him for sure so i'm gonna just keep that one short and sweet i got islam by full mount uh smashing cajun's head into the mat it's interesting because look mahashev is a minus 700 favorite and the inside the distance prop is plus 191. So when you get a minus 700, you see that inside the distance prop, it might be worth a look. The thing is that you, I know Islam got a KO win his last victory, but he's not necessarily always known for knocking dudes out because if he has to, he can grind someone out for three straight rounds. And the reason I bring this up, Shaq, is because Cajun Johnson, or Cajon Johnson as he likes to be called these days, he's not the kind of guy that uh, is going to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone. He's not going to give the fans the fight they want. He's going to try to run around and avoid the fight completely and frustrate his opponent, his opponent to the point where he takes an unnecessary risk and then gets caught. And that's exactly what happened in the Adriano Martins fight. The big difference here, Shaq, is that Adriano Martins loves to stand and bang. Adriano Martins isn't shooting for takedowns all the time, even though I must say Adriano Martins did take down Rustam Habilov in Brazil. Remember that? That's how he won that split. But in this specific situation, I thought that Adriano wanted to just go out there and knock Cajun Johnson out. I mean, the dudes had two broken jaws. Chad Lepre and Tayun Bang both destroyed this guy's jaw. I'm going to do the same thing. And, you know, he fell into Cajun's game plan and... uh you know, he paid the price. And then Stevie Ray, we don't got to talk about that fraud, but one thing I want to say about that, 
is that, you know, I know it's officially a split decision win for Cajun Johnson, but if you go back and you watch that third round, uh, the ref didn't see it, but I saw it. Stevie Ray actually got got knocked out for a second. He went out cold for one second, but then uh, Cajun landed a follow-up shot, actually woke him up, and ended up winning the decision. As far as this matchup's concerned, I think that if Islam's smart, which he seems to be pretty fucking smart, I mean, he kind all the dudes he trains with, all these dudes are fucking winners. These Russians know how to win fights. And I think that if Cajun tries his bullshit where he tries to literally run away. And when I talk about run away, I'm not talking about Alejandro Perez. I'm not talking about James Vick. I'm talking about really running away and avoiding the fight. Not not uh, being slick with it. So I think that if Cajun does that, I do think that Islam will be able to cut off that cage. And then take him down to the ground and then either grind him out or potentially set up the fi the finish via ground and pound, like you said, or a submission. Or he can just go out there and win a dominant decision. The bottom line, unless a fluke happens, Kajon Johnson's about to get his walking papers. And Kajon, it was a fun ride, my man. You got to speak against the UFC. You got to have your little moment at the Performance Institute when someone was giving a speech and then you stood up in the middle of it and embarrassed everyone. You got to do the whole bit, my man. The funny thing is, Shaq, is that Islam Mahashev could pull out being sick tomorrow. And you know the UFC is going to give uh, Kajan Johnson his show and win money and uh, send him on his way. You know what I mean, Shaq? Yeah, rightfully so. You know, whether what side you take or not, pro-UFC, anti-UFC, you know, if you work for someone and you talk shit about them, you know, uh, you expect to be fired. Yeah, look, Cajun, it was fun, man, and uh, congrats on everything, and I hope uh, your rap career goes well. I got Islam Mahashev with a dominant victory here. Now, next, next up, also in the lightweight division, actually, in the featherweight division, we got Hakeem Duwadu. He's minus 370. The comeback on Austin Arnett is plus 310. Now, Shaq, minus 370 for a guy that had the debut that he had. Uh, is it steep or is it warranted? Because we've seen uh, what Austin Arnett <laughs> has uh, done in the UFC lately. What's your opinion, man? Man, it's tough because, you know, if we if you go back and listen to our uh, show for the Danny Henry Hakeem fight, we told everyone that Hakeem Duwadu, you know, Someone along the line pretty much told him he was God's gift to MMA and that he was, uh, you know, Conor McGregor. You know, he's training at, or he was training at SBG for that fight. And that I'm means, here to let you know that he's not. <laughs> as we know, uh, you know, that SBG camp, they're, uh, they're not doing so hot these days. But, <laughs> you know. Uh, hey, Conor's yeah. coming back in October, so uh, they'll, they'll be able to pay their light bill. <laughs> but, uh, you know. As far as Hakeem goes, the kid plays around way too much in that cage for my liking to be a minus 370 favorite. Now, I understand he's fighting, you know, a guy being bought in as a sacrificial lamb to get his ass beat. But, you know, and that's pretty much what they've been using Arnett for. I mean, because uh, he got butchered by Brandon Davis on Contender Series. And then they fed him to my boy uh, Sanhagen, who's fighting Yeri, by the way. Um, and, you know, he got butchered in that spot as well. But, you know, Hakeem is a physical guy. He's got every athletic tool in the book. It's just his defense. The, he plays around on purpose. You know, he's got his left hand down. And it finally came to bite him in the ass in his last fight. So, uh, you know, I see him in some interviews with his sunglasses and, uh, you know, his hat twisted around backwards. But, I mean, uh, the guy's got to, you know, keep his emotions in control. You know, I'm not saying that he's emotional, but he needs to come in here and, you know, respect these guys, you know, because I feel like in World Series, 
he was getting away with a lot of shit, you know, when he was fighting that Russian and uh, Steven Seiler. So, uh, you know, I will take Akeem just because, like I said, the scenario is, you know, Arnett come in here and get that ass beat real quick. But uh, I can't trust that guy. He plays around too much. His hands are down. His chin's up in the air when it doesn't have to be. He's purpose- purposely eating shots to prove a point. And, uh, but I'll take Akeem anyways. I mean, dude, it's interesting to see him line minus 3-7 when he got blown out the water by, look, no disrespect to Danny Henry, but, you know, Danny Henry ain't exactly the guy that you want blowing you out the water. So all I got to say, man, is that I wish he was fighting someone a little better because Austin Arnett, you saw those two ass whoopings he took, especially the last one. And, you know, we were saying stuff like Austin Arnett will probably never win a UFC fight. But that was before they matched him up with the super overhyped Hakeem Duwadu. But look, if it's a pick em, I'm leaning with Hakeem. I think he's got better techniques. I think if he doesn't fuck around and he actually takes it serious for once in his life, he can come out here and show a little bit of the potential and, you know, the athleticism, the, I don't want to sit here and say striking prowess when we got guys like fucking Dustin Poirier, Jose Aldo, and, you know, a bunch of other great strikers on the card. But... There are levels to this shit. I think Hakeem is better than Austin Arnett, but I completely understand why people are taking the shot on Austin Arnett. Plus 310 to fade this bum. The only thing is that plus 310 is on another bum. So it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like if the Devin Powell and Herrera fight was lined like this, you take the dog all day. But in this spot, uh, you'd probably take the dog as well. But I just think as a pure pick, I have to go... With Hakeem Duwadu, I think he's slightly better than uh, Boston, so I'm going to go with uh, with Hakeem for the win here. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Jordan Young Guns Mian. He's minus 115, and Alex the Shark Murano is minus 105. Now, Shaq, you like how I gave Alex Murano a new nickname, one that won't get him in trouble? I don't think that's going to get him. I mean, there is a thing called the Great White Shark, so... Uh, but as far as the fight... <laughs> as far as the fights... Uh, the fight's concerned, you know. Uh, I like Morano. I think, uh, to be honest, I, his fight against Keitaro Nakamura, I thought he won that fight. You know, but uh, he fought too close in Japan, and, uh, you know, they, they uh, fucked him over. But, um, you know, I think morano has got a high motor. I think uh, I think he's, I'll go ahead and say I think he trains harder than Mean, and I don't even know Mean's training situation. Um, but I just think uh, Morano... Definitely wants it more at the, at this stage in both of their careers. Now, Mina is coming off that win, so you know I'm assuming some people think he's got a little confidence riding off that. But if you haven't figured out to beat er- the way to beat Eric Silva, I mean, what else is there I mean, to say? Exactly. If you can't beat Eric Silva, I mean, you should really shouldn't be in the UFC. That's why the guys that you know Eric Silva have beaten, you know, that's why they have losing records, or you know, they're not in the UFC. So. Um, you know, I think Mean, you know, occasionally, you know, he'll let it go. But I just don't think physically he has it anymore. You know, this is a guy that started his pro career at 16 years old. And, you know, when you start that career from that young, you know, you die. Some guys die out a little late. Like, you see the two guys in the main event, Eddie and Dustin, they've both been fine since they were 17, 18 pro. But, you know, they're still going on strong. But, you know, you got some guys that Mean, you know, who... Had probably had to fight every weekend, every Friday night, take all that damage. And now you see him retiring at, what, age 25, 26? And then uh, coming back because, you know, he probably needs the money. And, you know, he just really can't pull the trigger the same way he used to. And even when he did used to pull the trigger in the UFC, this was a guy that was allergic to adversity, Dan. I mean, 
that fight uh, with Perpetua let you uh, were the early stages. You know, he won the first two rounds, and then he kind of wilted in the third round. The Matt, uh, the Tiago Alves fight, complete domination, takes a knee to a body kick. And then he comes back for the Mech fight, and he's just not the same. He's a little older. He's a, His chin's not the same. Um, his body's looking softer. His body's looking a little softer. He's older. I mean, plain and simple, you know. There's a lot of things different in the sport now. And Morano, I think Morano's going to win this fight just by uh, his want and desire. I think uh, Morano wants to be here. I think when things get tough, I think Mean's going to want to check out. I think Morano's going to want to put him away when things get tough. Um, I think Morano, you know, his fight with Nico Price, hey, you know, he got knocked out by Nico Price. Nico just knocked out someone from his back the other day. So, you know, uh, there's no shame in that, in my opinion. I do think, uh, you know, he doesn't use all of his skills. He does stand up for the most part for the entire 15 minutes, but I just think the pace and the tenacity is what's going to take him to victory here. And I'm going to actually say by finish, third round. Yeah, look, Jordan Meehan, when he was one of the top guns at 170 pounds, I mean, look the fuck out. I mean, that guy would send dudes launching. But you know you know, the last time he knocked someone out, Shaq, was, was against Mike Pyle, I believe in 2014. So it's been a long time since my boy Jordan Meehan has looked like himself. And I understand why it's a pick in theory because, you know, Jordan Meehan in his prime form, I mean, on any given night, that dude could go out there and beat anyone. I mean, he was just that talented. He still is that talented. But... He's a guy that fought Rory McDonald when he was 16 years old. He's taken way too much damage. He already retired once. And when he came back post-retirement, because, you know, how else is he going to make, uh, you know, 50K in one night? You know what I'm saying, Shaq? This is how these guys make a living. And if you're not making other investments outside the cage, you got to come back. But Jordan Meehan does have a gym, so... You know, but look, it's in his blood. He's a fighter, man. But that being said, he's a shot fighter. He's not the same guy he once was. And all the evidence you got to see is watch the Tiago Alves fight. I know he got stopped. I know it was almost a quit job, but he actually looked really damn good for the first round and a half in that fight. So you watch that. You obviously retired after that fight. Comes back, takes on Emil Meek. And dude, he just looked like a shell. And it was super sad. And, you know, now we've come to find out that Emil Meek really isn't anything special and all these things and then he fights Bilal hey no shame in taking a whooping to Bilal Bilal's a you know he's a top 20 guy and he's a perennial tough out but it's just how he looked versus Bilal you know I, I feel like Jordan Mean a couple years ago would have had a chance to beat Bilal I'm talking about the guy that went in there with Matt Brown even though you know that was an ass whooping I feel like that guy could have actually put up a fight against Bilal, but the guy we see today doesn't. And then you got Eric Silva, who has been a ghost for like the last 20 years. Who the fuck has Eric Silva beaten, Shaq? You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> I know you like that reference. But hey, I, I mean, like beating Eric Silva doesn't mean shit. Eric Silva was getting dropped by jobbers in the local scene last week. So to me, not, not just by jobbers and 40 year old jobbers. <laughs> and so to me, you know, when I watched the Jordan Mean versus Eric Silva fight, it kind of reminded me like when I watched Brad Scott versus Scott Askham. It's just two old men on their way out. It was kind of sad. You know, people overrate that performance just because one guy was a punching bag the whole time. But the reality, Shaq, is that, uh, Jordan and me and just ain't the same guy anymore. With Alex Morano, I'm not sitting here acting like he's a top 15 guy, but what I will say is that there's two guys in this fight, Jordan Meehan and Alex Morano. One guy is completely shot. That's Jordan Meehan. The other guy, Alex Morano, is an average fighter, but 
he's still got life left. He's still got something in the tank. He still wants to be there. So for that reason, I think that's enough to come out here and beat a guy like Jordan Meehan who he doesn't throw with the same intensity and ferocity and he doesn't have the same kill shots like he used to. He's hesitant to pull the trigger. He doesn't have the same cardio. His body shrunk. So I I see Alex Morano. He's got a nice game where he faints three times before he throws anything and he just gets people guessing and then when it's time to throw heat, Alex Morano can throw heat and not to mention he's a jiu-jitsu black belt. So you you shoot in on a guy like that and don't be surprised when he snatches that neck and obviously he came through for us against Josh Berkman. This is definitely a step up. Uh, You know, me and also beat Josh Berkman. They got that common opponent, but now they meet in Canada. I know me going to have a lot of people in the crowd supporting him. This is where he's from, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think Murano's the hungrier fighter. And I think the hunger, the will to win, the desire is what's going to carry him to a victory here. And I actually understand where you're coming from with that third round TKO, because I could totally see the first round being close and Alex taking over in the second and then finishing in the third or winning a decision. But bottom line, I think Alex Morano outworks, out hustles, and outpaces Jordan Meehan and gets the victory. Now we got to talk about the main card because first up in the lightweight division, we got Olivier Aubin Mercier. He's minus 115. The comeback on Alexander the Great Hernandez is minus 105. Now, Shaq, I know you recall when Alex Hernandez fought Benil Dariush in his UFC debut, and we went on half the battle, and we said, guys, do not parlay Benil Dariush in this spot, because this kid, Alex Hernandez, is serious, and it turns out he was serious. He went out there, and he knocked Benny out in under a minute, but that being said, a common theme was that Benny's previous opponent, Evan Dunham, they had this three-round war, then they both come back, and they both got finished in under a minute. One got finished by Alex in under a minute. The other got finished by Olivier, Olivier Aubin Mercier in under a minute. So they were both kind of fighting weathered guys. We don't know much about Alex, but what we have seen is impressive. So do you feel like you know enough about Alex to pick him against Olivier Aubin Mercier at this point, Shaq? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of looking to this fight a lot because Mercier, you know, I've been feeling for a while that he's been, you know, making steady improvements even before the Dunham fight. But I agree with what you're saying about Dunham and Benil. I mean, Benil took that canvas snap to Edson. Then he had that fight with uh, Dunham. Serious damage taken. Dunham's been building up damage for years and years. <clears throat> and I feel like, you know, I feel like they, they would have won anyways. But I do feel like they were beneficiaries of the circumstances they were in, you know, with the guys they were fighting. Um, Hernandez, I love the kid's mindset. You know, I love the kid's <laughs> attitude. You know, he he's pretty fucking convincing, man. Um, it's just, I wish we had more facts, you know, his fight before the UFC against a 10 and four guy. I mean, that guy was a complete fucking joke. So, you know, it's tough to say, you know, I I feel like I kind of see what he's saying about these, you know, the switch stances and just, uh, you know, his, uh, what's he, what he calls the new generation, the new generation movement. And if, uh, he's right about OAM, you know, OAM's a traditional, you know, a traditional lefty and you know OEM's output's a little low but I mean when he does land it's so pretty that it kind of makes up for you know the three strikes that his uh, opponent landed so you know uh it's gonna be a tough fight I have more facts on OAM so I'm kind of leaning to his side you know I don't know how Hernandez is gonna you know be in a grueling you know slow pace type of fight in the clinch or on the mat is it just gonna be one time on the mat this is over now I know he's got some good uh jujitsu credentials and the one time uh oam uh fought someone 
or at least like hit the mat with someone with a uh, real jujitsu credentials. You know, he lost to Carlos Diego, and Dan, I love to, I love how everyone acts like that fight never happened. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're always riding my boy Carlos Diego off. <laughs> yeah, big time. They uh, just, they just act like he never lost to the Brazilian, but it's all good. But uh, you know, OAM, he does tend to get caught with big shots early. He got caught with a big shot. Um, in his uh, fight with, not a big shot, but, you know, he got caught with a shot against Donham. He got caught with a shot against Goody. He got, you know, in the past, he's always been a little bit timid to get hit. But now it seems like, you know, he's a little bit more comfortable. But I don't know about this kid Hernandez, man. He's a mystery. It's a, uh, you know, if you bet on him, it's kind of like you're taking taking a leap of faith. It's kind of, it's not guessing, but it's, it almost is guessing. You know, it's like, because he, he could either be the real deal or you could just get completely outclassed due to, with a guy with way more experience uh, who's the got a size. complete over, you said what now? The size too. Size. Who's got a complete overall game? Um, and those TriStar boys—they've been—they've been doing their thing lately. You know, um, you know, George is uh, putting them on the Canadian French uh, supplement plan. So it's uh, it's uh, been working real good for those TriStar boys. But you know, I I, I slightly got to take OAM. But I could see Hernandez knocking him out early, man. He, he does. I have a feeling that you know he, he might just be this guy that they say he is. But I just don't have the facts to support that. I can't. I, Fifty seconds. I wish it would have went like two or three minutes the debut, just so we could see a little bit more. But from what I saw, I was super fucking impressed. But uh, I'm gonna take OEM by unanimous decision. Yeah, man, this is a really tough fight for me to call just because, like you said, we don't have enough facts on Alexander Hernandez. You know, what happens if he gets pinned up against that fence? What happens if he gets taken down and starts getting grinded on? Can he react like it's no big deal, get back up, start fighting again? What happens if uh, he has a great first round, it goes into the second? Can he still keep up that pace? I know on the local scene against these complete scrubs, he can do that kind of thing. But Olivier Aubin Mercier is a guy that's grown up in the UFC. We've seen him go from completely green to a top 15 guy. So, I mean, that's the definition of someone that paid their dues. But when you hear this kid Alexander Hernandez talk, he's super intelligent. He's a very brilliant kid. He's got a superb mindset for this game. And he actually flew out to learn from his hero, TJ Dillashaw. And, you know, say what you want about the snake, but he's a two-time UFC world champion and one of the pound-for-pound greats. So to learn from a guy like that and to try to implement that style into the 155-pound division, which Conor McGregor referred to as the the stuck-in-the-mud division, and in a sense, he might be correct because Olivier Aubin Mercier, you know, he is a little bit flat-footed, you know. I know his boxing's gotten a little bit better. I'll say this about Mercier. Besides his tie-ups, which are super strong, dude's got an unbelievable left body kick. That fucking thing, you hear the, you hear the sound of that, you definitely cringe a little bit. So I wonder if he's going to be trying to slow down the movement of Alexander Hernandez with that left kick. But man, I know it's a bit of a leap of faith because we don't have the facts. What I've seen from Alex Hernandez has been very impressive. He might already be better than some of these guys that uh, that are ranked ahead of him. And I think that his speed, his stance switching, his feints, and just his approach will be big weapons in this fight. And we know that Olivier Aubin Mercy has actually been caught in a couple fights. I know you saw my boy Dober drop him. I know you saw the French jobber Goody drop him. And there's been other examples also along the way. And so I'm not going to be surprised when Alex Hernandez comes out here and does the same thing. I would have liked plus money, but it's a pick so you got to pick a side. I'm going to go with Alex Hernandez uh, to get the biggest win of his career. 
Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Joanna Yunjacek. She's minus 280. The comeback on Tisha Torres is plus 255. Now, Shaq, we successfully faded Joanna Yunjacek in her last fight against Rose Nama Yunus. Unbelievable fight that was. Now, interesting fact here. Joanna and Tisha both have a common opponent. In Rose Nama Yunus, Tisha fought her twice. Tisha beat her once, lost to her the second time. Joanna also fought her twice, but lost to her both times. But now Joanna has to fight Tisha. Uh, is uh, the quote-unquote strawweight queen going to make a return here, Shaq? <laughs> more like the strawweight fraud. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, nah, but in all due respect, you know, Joanna, you know, she uh, – you know, as, I mean, you know, I know she lost the Rose twice, but she still is somewhat, you know, our first, you know, female, our first real. I know Carla won the belt first, but she's uh, our it's first between real. Between you and me, Joanna won the belt first. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's our first real strawweight champion. And, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, you know, Tisha's a, a solid fighter. But, uh, you know, I think Tisha's a top, you know, five or six fighter. You know, I think that's as far as it gets. You know, I think it, if you're ranked from six on down, you know, I think Tisha Torres will beat you. But, uh, you know, if you're ranked, uh, you know, five on up, I mean, I think she could get a couple girls maybe. But if you're ranked five on up, then, you know, I got to go with the other girls. But, you know, I think uh, Joanna's just uh, on a different level. I think Joanna truly is still the number two girl in the world. I think Rose Namunis is just, you know, evolving at a super high rate. You know, I think uh, Pat Berry got her shit together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Pat Berry finally... Laid off the booze and everything's good now. So he's not getting arrested in Minnesota anymore, <laughs> Shaq. You know, so uh, you know, I think Rose is just truly the best strawweight in the world. I still think you know Yoan is a detriment to herself because you know she's still saying all this shit like she didn't really lose. But one thing I will say about Yoan that I loved, uh, you know, when she found out that Rose Valentina and uh, Tisha were all training together, you know, she did say she finds it funny that. Uh, all these girls need to team up to uh, find a way to beat her. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, or to try to beat her is what she said. So, you know, um, it's really funny that to see that she's still uh, in denial. But I still think she's going to pull this one out. I just think Tisha's just frankly not good enough. You know, I think it's going to be a competitive fight. But I just think she'll fall up short. You know, I could see her winning around possibly due to a, Yo a Joanna wobble. We, we do know she's got that Euro chin. And uh, and if you guys don't know what that Euro chin is, you know, just DM me. I can I can explain it to you a little better. But uh, <laughs> she does have that Euro chin, so uh, you know anything can happen. But I do think she'll, at the worst case scenario, pull out a a, a close decision. You know, at first I was kind of getting annoyed with uh, how Joanna was acting, but now I kind of find it kind of funny how still to this point. She's acting like she's still the champion, and she's hey, she's she's owning that act, man. So I, I gotta give her credit for that. She's not letting it go. So it, it is actually pretty hilarious. And look, I got a lot of respect for Tisha, known her a long time, great competitor. But uh, this is as far as she goes. You know, she's the kind of fighter. You know, you know how Dana used to say that uh, my boy Ken float chokes in uh, big fights. You know how my boy uh, Dana used to say that Tyron Woodley chokes in big fights. Well. Uh, Tisha Torres chokes in big fights. And it's not even going to come down to choking, man. I just think Joanna's simply better than her. I think Joanna's going to set a significant strike differential on Tisha Torres' face. And, and, that, and that's the bottom line. Now, look, if Tisha were to win this fight, Tisha has tremendous speed. And I'm not saying she's got more speed than Joanna because it, it could be about even. 
But what I will say, Shaq, is that I've been saying Joanna's chinny not just since she got knocked out by Rose. We've been saying this a long time, man. We saw we said this in the second Claudia fight. We said this before the Carolina fight. We said this before the Andrade fight. And she got dropped in a bunch of those fights, but she didn't finally get knocked out until the Rose fight. And then after that, we went ahead and uh, we bet Rose the second time, and rightfully so. I just don't think Tisha Torres is on that level. And that's the bottom line. I see Joanna coming out here and winning a dominant decision. But if it's true that Joanna might actually be done, because as, as we know, the fight game evolves every day. One day you're the fucking king or queen. The next day you ain't shit. So we'll see what happens. But I still think there's a big skill difference, a skill gap. And uh, I see Joanna taking the decision here. Now here we go, man. Because shit's about to get real for this co-main event. Now, check out this line. We got Jeremy Stevens. He's a minus 120 favorite. He's taking on Jose Aldo, who's plus 110. Now, Shaq, the longest reigning featherweight champion in UFC and WEC history is an underdog to the man with the most losses in UFC history. What's your opinion on this matchup, Shaq? Yeah, you know, personally, you know, I'm, I've been seeing a lot of that this week, and, you know, I, I think it's complete, you know, bullshit like the whole jeremy's lost to everybody thing which is true but like so fucking what the times uh the times now and that's all that matters you know jose is an old brazilian and first thing jose you know he is one of the greatest featherweights of all time you know he, he's a warrior he never quits but uh firstly let's just go ahead and take a look through that novo and Yao stable of fighters you know their core fighters the guys that were you know on juiced out of their minds in that steroid era none of them look good in the i mean I can go through the list. I mean, Hennen, look what look at the state Hennen Burrows in. You know, uh, before he fought Kelleher, they were saying similar things. Kelleher was losing to bums on the local scene when this guy was champ. There's no way he's, Hennen's going to lose to this guy. Well, you know, Hennen's completely done now. Um, Taz Zaitis, you know, he can't finish fights when his opponent's got a broken rib. Um, My boy, Dantas. <laughs> Dantas, I mean, look at the stunt he just pulled the other day. You know, when they... Uh, when they're creeping around that 30-year-old mark, which Jose is creeping around, in between you and me, he's 50 in fight years. <laughs> um, you know, Dantes, Hakron Diaz is out of the UFC. John Teixeira is on a two-fight losing streak. Johnny Eduardo. <laughs> Johnny, look at the stunt Johnny Eduardo pulled the other day. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on, man. We haven't no, heard from Leo Santos in 10 years. That guy's always injured. I mean... You know, that environment just runs you into the ground. You know, it's good for the young the young fighters. Like, you know, but the thing is, once they hit that 27, 28, 29, then they, uh, they just start to fade, man. And it's just the facts. I mean, if someone can tell me one guy from that gym that's doing good, now I understand Jose is the best guy from that gym, hands down, by far. And, uh... You know, lately it seems like, well, he already, he already had a cardio issue with, you know, in his prime. You know, he was losing the fifth round to Lamas. You know, those fights with Frankie Edgar, that first fight with Frankie Edgar, he was slowing down uh, the Chad Mendes fight in Brazil, the second one. Mark Hominick. Mark Hominick. Mark Hominick. Like, he already had a cardio issue to begin with. And then, uh, you know, progressively... You know, you know, now he used to gas out in those fights, you know, end of third, fourth round. Now he just gasses out a little sooner. And progressively, these Nova guys, they gas out a little bit sooner. So, you know, uh, Jeremy, as far as Jeremy's concerned, yeah, you know, he's, uh, 
He's got the most losses in the UFC. Fuck yeah, he's got the most losses in the UFC. The motherfucker's been in the UFC since he was 20 years old. Try 11, a whole decade in the UFC. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course he's got the most losses. Um, and he's got also got the most imp- appearances. He's about to hit that 30, so we know his Reebok pay is really good. But, uh, you know, Jeremy, I feel like, you know, he his punch rate has gone up a lot, man. I feel like uh, he's went less power and he's just gone to touch more, you know. I think, uh, and it's led him to success, that fight against Duho. He was the underdog. People thought Duho was a little bit too fast for him. And uh, Duho was using similar techniques of what they want Jose to do. You know, they want Jose (laughs) to throw leg kicks. But, Dan, when's the last time Jose, uh, you know, utilized leg kicks, you know? (laughs) I mean, look, he he threw a couple leg kicks against Holloway the second time, but it wasn't... The chopping down the tree like he did against Uriah. It was nothing ever, like that. Ever since he broke that leg against Zombie, he's completely abandoned the leg kicks. The fight against Frankie at UFC 200, he might have thrown like two. And, and then, you know, his fights against Holloway, if you guys actually look into it, Holloway is actually one of the most low-kicked fighters in the UFC. If you guys look at Holloway's uh, eating low-kick stats, the guy gets hit with a lot of low-kicks, you know. Ricardo Lamas... And Jeremy Stevens landed over 20 low kicks on Max Holloway. But, you know, Jose, that was your opportunity to, you know, exploit that, you know, you can get back to your low kick game. And it didn't happen because he's abandoned it, man. So now what I'm getting to is now we're getting, you know, the old faded Brazilian who, you know, in the first Max fight, he gassed out in the middle of the second round. But in the second Max fight, he was gassed out in the middle of the first round. Like I'm saying, progressively and progressively, they start to gas out a little bit uh, sooner. Their chins aren't the same anymore. And then when they start doing that Nova, they pretty much just get that ass beat against the fence, man. You know, they all got heart. They're not going to quit. But I just think uh, Jeremy's going to be too much for him. I actually can see a situation where Jeremy's actually low-kicking Jose. You know, Jeremy's uh, standing his ground. And he's not, you know, gone to point-fighting mode, but... And his setups, they're kind of, you know, more on the, the point fighting style. He's just trying to touch, touch, touch. And then, you know, he'll set up that big shot. So, uh, you know, I see a situation where Aldo comes out here. I don't even think the first round's going to be hairy, to be honest. You know, I think, uh, you know, they'll swing, have a couple exchanges. But what's going to leave this uh, fight present for Jeremy is when Jose gets tired, he's just going to plant his feet and slug and throw straight right, left hook, and they're going to test and see, you know, they're going to have a dick measuring contest. Who's the better man? And I feel like that favors Jeremy, you know. I don't think uh, Jose has, at this stage in his career, has too many, you know, facets of his game. You know, look at these two fights. I mean, when he gets hurt, he's just standing there and he wants to slug. You know, he's saying he's going to get back to his jiu-jitsu roots, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, an older Brazilian trying to tie up and grapple and work and get back up to the feet. I, like, I like, like Shaq, what does that even mean, get back to his jiu-jitsu roots? Like, like I get he, he, you know, he tapped out Cobrinha and all this shit. When has he ever been a jiu-jitsu fighter inside the octagon? Yeah, I mean, that's just not what he does. So now he's trying, he's resorting to things that he's never done before. You know, the low kick is out the arsenal now, so now he's just pretty much a boxer. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's desperation in my opinion. It's looking for answers. You know, I'm looking at the countdown show and those there, you know, they're doing their strength and conditioning, you know, on a basketball court, um, you know, their weights, they're lifting weights, <laughs> they're lifting weights. Like, uh, as my boy, Conor McGregor said, you know, they, they train very animalistic in that gym, but, uh, <laughs> 
You know, I just think uh, Jose is done. You know, I think uh, I'm not necessarily like he's completely done. I just think it's a good fight for Jeremy. I think people are going to realize, you know, that Jeremy actually is getting a little better. Um, you know, I've never the Hanato fight and the Frankie fight. You could clearly see there was something off there, man. I mean, he was just straight, strictly power. Now it's completely different. Now he's just touching, touching, touching. Well, he wasn't with those two fights, right? You said, well, no. He wasn't with uh, Eric Del Fiero for those two fights, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, him and Eric had to get that money situation settled. It's settled now. And uh, now we see that success, man. So, you know, I know they're saying Jeremy's due for an L. He's, you know, he uh, he always loses. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I got Jeremy by second round or third round KO. Yeah, I mean, look, a couple years ago, I think Jose Aldo would have easily won a decision over Jeremy Stevens. I think he would have put a clinic on Jeremy Stevens. I think it would have been minus three, minus 400 on Jose Aldo to beat Jeremy Stevens. But as you know, this sport evolves so quick. And I mean, Jose Aldo, he was a guy that was 25-1. and one. That's like an unheard of record. But since that point, he's lost three of his last four via knockout. And I know people are going to sit here and be like, oh, but it was to Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. And I know both of those guys would beat Jeremy Stevens. One of them did beat Jeremy Stevens. Holloway did. It's not about that. That's not the point here, guys. The point here is that, do you remember when my boy Hennon Burrell was like 32-1 and one and he, you know, he was the pound-for-pound pound this and then he had the two TJ Dillashaw beatings and he was never the same. Then he's losing the guys that he would have smoked like Brian Kelleher. Well, guess That's what? Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> oh, he lost to Jeremy too. What a co coincidence, Shaq. And, you know, and guess who, guess who, uh, who also took two life-changing beatings both by TKO? Jose Aldo. Well, let's not even talk about the McGregor knockout, which was a life changer, by the way, which did end his aura of invincibility. Let's not even talk about the Conor McGregor fight. Let's just talk about the two Max fights. Yeah, it is Max, the best, uh, the best featherweight on planet Earth uh, until uh, Ortega takes that belt. But look, Max, yes, he is the best featherweight on planet Earth. But let's talk about what happened in that fight. First fight, hey, Jose Aldo. He had a spirited effort that first fight, you know? I know people like to talk about that one combo he landed in the first round where he threw 10 punches at the air, but then he landed that one knee. Oh, my God. It's like, you know, if if, the, if all those shots landed, then I'd sit here, you know, being like, wow, Jose still got it. But what? He lands one knee in one round, and we're going to sit here and act like he still got it? He doesn't still have it. That burst took everything out of him. But, look, he had a spirited effort the first time. You know, the first two rounds – well, we're kind of close in the in the first round. And then the third round, I mean, he got a significant strike record set on his face. Then the second time, you can make excuses about it being short notice. But I've seen, I've seen Aldo take short notice fights in the past, and he's not gassing out in the first round. Well, the second time he fought Holloway, he did gas out in the first round. And it's not because Holloway is so much better. It's because Aldo is completely done. He had a great career. He's the best featherweight of all time, and it's over now. That's how this sport goes. When these guys have those long championship brands, and then they start getting knocked out every fight. They don't just come back and start winning again. I understand that Aldo would have smoked Jeremy Stevens a couple of years ago, but it's not a couple of years ago. It's 2018. So one thing I got to say about Jeremy, he used to be the guy that won one, lost one, won one, lost one. You know why he's changed it up? Because now he's not just looking for that one heavy shot. Now he's actually doubled his output. Go look at the numbers. His last three fights, he has doubled the output in all of them. And uh, I know he, I know those guys aren't Jose Aldo, but I really don't think Jose Aldo has much left. I think Jose Aldo's on his way out the game. He's got the burger shop. You know, he's doing the whole bit, opening a gym. Okay, go do your thing, Jose. You had a great run. But one of these guys is uh, 
One of these guys has title aspirations, and that's Jeremy Stevens, and that's the reason the line is where it is right now. If Jose can weasel this decision, hats off. I just don't think he has that capability anymore. And uh, I think that little heathen's actually going to come out here and knock him out, as crazy as it sounds. That's how that's how the fight game goes. Look, if if I, if five years ago I would have told you that Dennis Seaver would beat BJ Penn, you'd say I'm a fucking idiot. Well, Dennis Seaver did beat BJ Penn, and uh, Jeremy Stevens will beat uh, Jose Aldo. Main event of the evening. Holy shit. Dustin the Diamond Poirier, he's minus 160. The comeback on Eddie the Underground King Alvarez is plus 150. Now, Shaq, I don't miss a fight when Dustin Poirier is fighting. I don't miss a fight when Eddie Alvarez is fighting. But now these two motherfuckers are fighting against each other. The first time was chaos. This is going to be chaos as well. Which way are you going? going to be a great fight, man. I got the utmost respect for a guy like Eddie Alvarez. I'm sure everyone knows I'm a big DP fan, but Eddie Alvarez, you know, I've actually met him personally, man, and he's a super cool guy uh, in person, man. He'll talk to anyone. So, you know, I, I, I look up to both these guys. They're both uh, they're both warriors, and it sucks that one guy has to take a canvas snap, you know? It's unfortunate. As far as the fight, the first fight, you know, it looked like uh, DP was pretty much schooling him up for about seven minutes, and, you know, when things got hairy, you know, uh, Eddie threw the two illegal strikes, and, you know, uh, whether whatever whatever way you want to analyze it, you know, some people are going to analyze to say they are illegal strikes. You know, some people are going to analyze it, you know, as in pride rules, this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, pride rules don't exist. They will never exist. And I mean, it's just irrelevant and as far as my opinion. But if you think Eddie knocked him out, then that's the way. If you think he threw illegal strikes, then that's the way. But it's a new fight now. Dustin's, uh, what if uh, what if what if you think he knocked him out and threw illegal strikes? Um, but <laughs> he wasn't knocked out. So. <laughs> exactly, those things don't exist, never will exist. So you know, it, it just you know, it's irrelevant. But uh, as far as the fight goes, it's a new fight. A lot of things has happened since. You know, Dustin, they he went from being a guy that choked in big fights, he can't win the main event, um, and you know now he's won two main events in a row. So. You know, uh, seems like he's been, you know, slow to, slowly doing things that they say he couldn't do. Um, Eddie, that fight would get against Gaethje, I understand the type of fight that Gaethje generally sucks his uh, opponents in. But, man, that was a <laughs> that was an ugly, ugly fight. Now, I understand he was on one leg. I know he did have a ball, uh, <laughs> a ball, uh, a, a baseball in his jaw. So, you know, I, I understand it was tough, but, I mean, they were uh, exchanging some very sloppy punches, a lot of the openings there. And, you know, I still see the same openings. Um, you know, I'm assuming Eddie thinks that if he can stretch this out to late rounds that he's probably, you know, he thinks he's probably going to break Dustin. But uh, I don't think it's going to hit the late rounds, man. I think it's going to be over in the first round. <laughs> I think uh, Dustin's going to knock him the fuck out. Uh, you know, I think Eddie's a little bit too comfortable, man. Uh I think uh, I'm not saying he's underestimating Dustin, but I, I think he uh, I just think he's a little bit too comfortable, man. I think uh, generally he's the type of guy that, you know, has to feel uh, has to feel. I know he's got the contract situation looming, but in terms of just the fight aspect, he's a guy that likes to feel, you know, scared, nervous. You know, I feel like he doesn't really I think he he thinks low of Dustin. So, you know, I think he's going to get a little surprised. You know, I actually think 
Dustin, these last two fights, those were the generally Dustin gives you a you know a heart attack and a half. But uh, these last two fights, I mean, in terms of punching exchanges, he really hasn't wobbled. I mean, I'm sure he will wobble in this fight, you know, uh, with these two guys. But you know, I could see Eddie possibly uh, making him well in the late rounds. But I think the fight ends early. I just think there's a speed advantage, a power advantage, an angle advantage. Um, Eddie gets rocked in every fight. Dustin does his. Dustin does for the most part as well too, but I just think Dustin fight to fight, making these improvements, um, you know, coming into his own. I just think uh, that he's gonna knock him out in the first round. But I can't ever count a guy like out. They don't call him the Underground King for no reason. His back is against the wall. He does. This is the last fight on his contract. So uh, this is a fight I'm gonna just sit back and enjoy. Man, it's such an incredible matchup and. You know, from a betting perspective, when you see a plus 150 next to a a guy like Eddie Alvarez's name, I mean, you might want to consider it just because, I mean, the guy's a dog. And as Eddie likes to say, don't bring the dog out of Eddie Alvarez. And uh, you know who's about to bring the dog out of Eddie Alvarez, Shaq? Dustin Poirier is about to bring the dog out of Eddie Alvarez. But it might not make a difference, man, because the first time... Now, let's talk about that first time. Dustin Poirier was putting a clinic on Eddie Alvarez, and uh, he was going for the finish. And then Eddie, man, it seems like he's most dangerous when he's hurt. It's crazy how it works because I've been watching this guy his entire career. Always gets dropped in that first round. doesn't matter if it's against Roger Huerta, if it's against Patricky Pitbull, Josh Neer, you know, Michael Chandler, all these motherfuckers. But somehow he finds a way to come back and win these fights, and he's just unbelievable at biting down on that mouthpiece and chucking big bombs. I mean, they go—they don't call him the underground king for nothing. He really is the underground king. But Dustin Poirier is a guy where, you know, the hashtag he's been using paid in full. I mean, I couldn't think of a more appropriate slogan for a guy like Dustin Poirier. Kind of like, uh, you know, my boy Dustin Ortiz with his keep chopping. You know, he's, you know, he's the little journeyman. He keeps chopping. He was ranked number nine in the world five years ago. He's ranked number nine in the world right now. So Dustin Ortiz, he keeps chopping. But Dustin Poirier, we're talking paid in full because he beats Eddie Alvarez and uh, we're talking title shot. And the first time he was putting that clinic on him. He was going for the finish. He couldn't get him out of there. Eddie bit down. Eddie started coming back. And uh, in Rising and Pride rules, Eddie went out there and knocked him out. But this is UFC rules, and it was a no contest. Now they're going to run it back. And I think that if Dustin can stay a little bit more composed when he has Eddie hurt, he actually can put the finishing touches on and get him out of there. But he's got to make sure he doesn't make the same mistake he made last time. And I think the first time was more of a mistake on Dustin's part than it was credit to Eddie because we already know from previous fights that when you hurt Eddie this is a dude that's gonna bite down swing hard and I kind of felt like Dustin almost blew his load in a sense in that second round trying to get him out of there then when Eddie came back I I feel like Dustin uh, was almost bewildered in a sense now I'm not sure what would have happened if those illegal knees didn't land maybe he could have came back but I think I felt like it was gonna get hairy but that being said he has the opportunity to opportunity to correct that mistake and i feel like if he stays clean he stays patient he stays defensively responsible he can come out here and finish this finish the job that he tried to accomplish the first time and let's go out there and knock out a guy like eddie alvarez which is a massive feather in anyone's cab and you can knock out a guy like eddie alvarez i think we're talking title shot shack because uh, in the ufc only one man has done that and that is the notorious conor mcgregor so and speaking of mcgregor he's knocked out 
everyone in the main and co-main event. He knocked out Dustin Poirier. He knocked out Eddie Alvarez. He knocked out Jose Aldo. Between you and me, he knocked out Jeremy Stevens at that press conference. So Conor McGregor is the real winner here. But that being said, I, I do have Dustin over Eddie. But at the price, I understand the shot on Eddie. He's always a live dog in any fight. But I think Dustin's at a point in his career where he's not just putting it together physically, he's putting it together mentally as well. He really believes in himself right now, and I see him going out there and getting that win. Well, Shaq, before we uh, hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute, uh, just got to remind them that Max Bet season is going down, and uh, it's time to keep up the winning ways, my man. Yeah, Max Bet season going down on Saturday. You know, it's going to be a great event of fights. Uh, definitely a great event for us, and you know we're not necessarily done yet. You know I'm, I might add something. You know uh, you know it depends, but uh, you know Max Bet season is in full effect. It's getting back on track this weekend. Yes, sir. Well, continuing the track is my boy Ping Wang Lu came through last week as a plus one hundred. This week we got the Max Bet, possibly something else in the works, which I'm very excited for. But now let's hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, man. It's Shark Week, so I'm ready to eat. Oh, I already feel that, man. And speaking of sharks, not just in terms of making money, Dustin Poirier is taking on Eddie Alvarez. As far as the Lions concerned, I mean, minus 160 for Poirier, the comeback on Alvarez, plus 150. But in DraftKings, we're looking at 8,800 for Poirier and 7,400 for Alvarez. Do you think it's uh, kind of unique from a DraftKings perspective? Uh, I just think this is... By far the best fight on the card to target. Uh, and, yeah, the the salaries almost make you want to put Alvarez in if you're making one lineup. Just because he's so low, he has one of the highest ceilings on the card. Uh, same as Poirier. But there's no way that the winner doesn't score over 100 points here. So if you're making multiple lineups, man, just go 100% on this fight. Whoever you like more, just put them in more lineups. But you definitely want to hedge here because I think we could see a ton of points here in this fight. Uh, easy stack in cash. Uh, I just think this is such a great fight to target. It's going to be awesome to watch, and I can't wait for it. I feel like this fight with Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens, whoever picks it correctly is going to have a lot of bragging rights because you got to guess. I mean, is Aldo done? Because, you know, a couple years ago he would have smoked uh, Jeremy Stevens or at least beat him by a convincing decision. The question is, can he do it now? And the Lions uh, pick him for a reason. I'm going to go with Aldo here. I think Aldo's got enough of the left in the tank uh, to beat Stevens anyways. I think he just has to watch out for that that power right hand. And if he can, he should be able to slide a easy decision here. But really, Stevens has the higher ceiling of the two in DraftKings because he has that one-punch ended potential, and he could score over 100 points that way. I really don't see Aldo scoring 100 points in a win. So... I don't know, man. Stevens might be the better DraftKings play here, but I am picking Aldo in the fight. So I'll probably go with a little bit of both of them. Um, but I don't love this fight in general for DraftKings. I do have to ask you about Yoanny and Jacek taking on Tisha Torres. I mean, they got her 9,200. That means uh, they're expecting her to score a lot of points. And we know if the past is any... Uh, is any indication, you know, she does set significant strike records on these girls' faces. You think uh, she's going to get back to her winning ways? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think this is a really good matchup for her, actually. I think just the range, I mean, the height and length she's going to have on the feet uh, with the speed she has and the way she can mix in her strikes, I think it's just going to be too much for Tisha. I think Tisha will need to get takedowns here to win a judge's decision. I just think Joanna's too good at getting up, and 
she'll win the rounds back with her striking. So I like JJ here. Uh, but the only issue is we don't have five rounds with her anymore. We're used to getting like 140 DraftKings points because she's racking up all these strikes in five rounds. But now we only have three, so it's going to be interesting to see how much she can get us. Uh, her first two fights in the UFC were only three rounds. She scored 59 and 53. So that would really suck if she went out there and scored that at $9,200 on DraftKings. Um, so I don't know how much I love her as a DraftKings play, but she's my pick here. I don't really like Torres too much at DraftKings, so it's Joanna Howard pass for me. Man, that's such a great point about this being a three-round fight. That is why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle, my man. Now, listen, uh, Alex Morano's taking on Jordan Meehan. They got him. They got it as a pick em and a dead pick em in DraftKings, man. Uh, there's not even a lean towards a certain way. So I got to ask the man, Big Marley, what's your lean? Dude, I've, I, I really don't have one. I've gone back and forth on this fight probably 10 times this week. Um, I, I was on Maine yesterday, uh, and then I switched to Morono, and then I was back to Maine, and I think today I'm on Morono. So I really have no idea, dude. But since they are 8,100, I think if you do want to use this fight, just duplicate your lineup and then use the other one as well. That way, if they do score over 100 points, you know you got the winner in there, and if you hit your other five, you can win 20 grand. Yes, sir. So, Hakeem Duwadu, I know... Uh... I know he had a heavy price tag last time, and he probably got a total of zero points. You think people are willing to lay the heavy price tag on him here again? I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm interested to see how owned he is. Actually, uh, I'm I will pay that price tag at 9,400. I like him. I think he's one of the better GPP plays this week. Uh, I think this is a hand-picked matchup for him to get a win here in Canada. So that's kind. I'm just kind of going with. I'll be on the UFC side here. I think they're going to get what they want, and I think he's going to end up getting a TKO at some point. Uh, the earlier, the better, but it could be first round, and I, I like, like him. him. So, so he could pay off that $9,400 price tag. I'm really not too interested in Arnett, so Duwadu here is the play for me. So Islam Mahashev, they got him at 9600 Cajun Johnson, he's been pulling off all these upsets, <clears throat> and he's 6600 So it's kind of interesting, man, because my question here is, look, obviously I'm favoring the – minus 700 favorite to get it done and we know they're trying to set Kajan up but is is Islam about to cover this uh 9600 uh salary here this price tag it is tough man it's gonna be real tough to pay that off uh but he can definitely do it he's definitely ha has one of the highest ceilings on the card just his Khabib style is is a lot in DraftKings that's what kind of what we want uh but at 9600 you really need over 100 points from him or else it's not worth it. Um, I do like him a lot. I think he's a great play here. Uh, you, I think he's going to be popular as well. So I think Duwadu's a solid pivot away from him if you want to be a little bit different. But I do think both are going to get solid ownership. It's just Makashev is minus 700. So a lot of people are going to flock to that. I think he's going to be probably 40% owned. Um, so maybe if you want to even throw in a Cajun lineup, just if he gets that knockout, you're going to kill off a lot of the field. Uh, but I really don't – I wouldn't invest heavily in it. But I, if you're making multiple lineups, one Cajun lineup's not a bad idea. Other than that, I think you want to decide if you want to be over or underweight of the field uh, with Makachev. I'll probably be overweight if I can afford him. But, man, that is a tough salary to pay, 9600 John McDessie is taking on Ross Pearson. <clears throat> I think it should be about a pick -em, man, but the slight lean is with McDessie. They got him 8900 In my opinion, he's probably got to come out here and knock Ross Pearson out to pay that off. Uh, are you in agreement with me? 
Yeah, man, you're totally right. You just said it. I think you summed the fight up perfectly. He's got to knock out. He's got to get a knockout to pay off the 8,900. Therefore, I'm not too interested in him because uh, I don't think that's super likely. And that, but I do think he's going to win. So that makes me not like Pearson that much either. So really, I don't care too much for this fight. Uh, if you think Pearson's going to win it, then he's worth throwing in some lineups because he is the dog. He's so cheap at 7,300. Uh, and if you think McDesi's going to go out there and get the knockout, then he will be low owned. So that could help win you that 20K by being contrarian. I just don't think it's very likely that he pays that off. So Mateus Nicolau is taking on Dustin Ortiz. And man, it's a hell of a matchup. I mean, Dustin Ortiz, you're putting him in your lineups. You're expecting a lot of takedowns with Mateus Nicolau. He won uh, his last fight by decision. And I believe he scored over 100 points. So what's your opinion? Yeah, I love this fight, man. I love this fight from a uh, DraftKings perspective and just as a fan perspective. I think this is going to be one of the fun, more fun fights on the card. Uh, and I'm going to target both of them on DraftKings. Uh, yeah, like you said, in Nicolau's last fight, he had 137 points. Uh, and he also had 118 in his first fight. So he definitely has a high ceiling. And I think Ortiz is going to be the more popular player here in DraftKings. So Nicolau is probably going to be a little bit contrarian at that 9,000. So I do like him in GPPs for that reason, but I like Ortiz more in cash games. I think uh, this is probably going to go to a decision. Even in a loss, he can rack up enough points that will help your lineup out, and you can pay up for other favorites. So I love this fight all around. I can't wait to watch it. My pick to win is going to be Nicolau. What do you think about stacking a fight like this? I think with Poirier and Alvarez on this card, you can't do it just because you have to stack that fight. But – if that wasn't if like if that fight wasn't on there, then this would be a sneaky one to do. Now let me ask you real quick because you know stacking a fight like Poirier and Alvarez, that would mean you're assuming it's going to be this this big war. But what if someone goes down in the first round? Uh, then that's fine because you're still getting over a hundred points uh, in total. Whether it's all from one person, that's fine with me. My goal in stacks is to get more than a hundred points. I want a hundred point floor uh, total. Got it, got it. So, any opinion on the, on the chick fights? Obviously, we got Chukagian taking on Davis and Marcos taking on Anzaroff. You think uh, any of them could potentially score high? I mean, maybe Marcos with a submission? Yeah, I'm more interested in the Marcos-Anzaroff fight. Uh, I, I can see going both ways on that to be a little bit contrarian. I think it will be pretty high-paced. So, I mean, with, with the way fight metrics been going, they gave – Jessica Aguilar, 94 points for some reason. So you never know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll give wow. one of these chicks 150 points. So I'm going to throw them in a couple lineups. Maybe fight Metric will fuck it up again. Uh, but I'm really not too interested in the Chuki and Davis fight. I think that's going to be more slow-paced. I don't see it getting finished. So I think I'd rather just fade it if you're making a few lineups. Well, Kyle, we appreciate your time. As always, the fans can follow you at Big Marley 3 and uh, let's get this money this weekend. That's right, bro. I got my uh, write-up available for $7.99. Just follow my Twitter. I'll be posting links there. Let's get some money. Yes, sir. Let's get it. Speak soon, Kyle. All right. Take care. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Calgary? My fight to watch? My fight to watch is going to be uh, Jeremy Stevens versus Jose Aldo, man. If Jeremy Stevens can come out here and get that win, 
He just beat a former. He just beat the the former greatest featherweight of all time, man. And that's that will make a four or five win streak when people said he couldn't even win two in a row. So it's gonna if he wins this fight, it'll be uh, pretty funny to look back on. And you know, uh, if he does win this fight, we know what he's getting next because we know that he was about to get that title shot against uh, T City. But my boy T City made the right decision and uh, not to fight. But he is in the doghouse with my boy DW. But you know, uh, I think that fight's the fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't argue with that. For me, I'm going to go with Joanna and Jacek versus Tisha Torres. Look, Joanna's still trying to play the mind games. Joanna's still saying she's the queen of the strawweight division. Now she's got a perennial tough out in Tisha Torres. And if she can come out here, get a dominant victory over someone like Tisha, Joanna's right back in the title talks. And we already know Rose is probably going to take on the winner of Carolina versus Andrade. And to see Joanna right back in the mix, uh, I think it could be exciting for that for that weight class, man. So, Joanna versus Tisha is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch? My fighter to watch is going to be uh, Mateus Nicolau because, you know, I feel like uh, the flyweight division possibly has a, a new contender. And he's a young contender, and the division needs new, fresh, young blood. And I, I think he's a real threat. So, Mateus Nicolau is my fighter to watch. Yeah, he's definitely someone you got to keep your eye on. And it's funny. I'm going to actually pick the biggest favorite on the card to be the fighter to watch. I'm going to explain why, guys. It's not because, oh, you got to put him in all your parlays and this and that. It's because, look, Islam Mahashev has more than just a fight on his hands here. This is kind of like when Machida fought Tito Ortiz and, you know, Dana went in the back room and he told Machida, kick this dude's ass, please. And you know for a fact that Machida got a fat bonus for doing so. And I feel like Islam versus Kajan is a, is a similar situation. The UFC are not rooting for Kajan Johnson. They want to see this guy go out there and get his ass beat. So Islam is actually in a high-pressure situation. He's a minus 700 favorite. Everyone's expecting him to steamroll this guy. But we know Kajan Johnson is actually pretty tough to look good against because he won't engage you in a fight. Plus, you bring in all the drama. No one wants him in the UFC anymore. They're trying to get rid of him as soon as possible. You know Dana's got an 100K check waiting for Islam if he beats Kajan. He's just got to beat him first for him to sign that check. So for that reason, Islam Mahashev is my fighter to watch for UFC Calgary. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this weekend, this Saturday. UFC Calgary is going to be a hell of a card. And, man, I'm, I'm fucking pumped to get another win, man. 110% man is going down max best season max best season max best season and uh let's get the job done indeed let's do it my man so they can follow you at MMA Genius 5 on twitter they can follow me at best fight picks they can follow our instagram at best fight picks official subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube and stitcher get all our bets at bestfightpicks.com at maxbetseason.com we want to thank you guys so much for all the support that you've shown us the new fans the old school fans, everyone along the way, thank you guys so much. We got a lot of cool things in the works. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.